Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The Incomparable, number 613, May 2022. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This episode is one of our episodes about Pixar. It's a, it's a, in fact, the most recent Pixar as we record this. It is Turning Red, directed by Domi Shi. Um, it is, uh, look, there's an adorable red panda in it, and it's about a whole lot of stuff, and it's, uh, I loved it. I thought it was great, and we're going to talk about it. I just, I'm putting my cards on the table there. I thought this was great. And I was set, it set in Toronto, and I kept on saying to myself, uh, "Are they going to show the Sky Dome?" And friends, they do more than show the Sky Dome; they wreck the Sky Dome. Uh, but let me introduce my panelists who are going to talk about Turning Red with me. Joy Piedmont is here. Joy, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm just so excited to talk about Tamagotchi. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you know we have to explain to people like you don't understand in, tw- in 2002, <laughs> Tamagotchi. Uh, where I, I thought that was adorable. I, I make Tamagotchi references all the time, and people are like, "I don't know what you're talking about." I'm like, oh, <laughs> "I didn't say pet rock. I said Tamagotchi. You should know." It. I mean, they need to get with it. <laughs> Moises Chuyan is also here. Hi, Moises. I, I look forward to digging into, um, as they say in the movie, all the horrible, awful, sexy things. Mm, oh man. Okay, <laughs> we'll we'll dig. We'll dig. Monty Ashley is also here. Hi, Monty. Awuga. That's my response to this whole movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair and reference acknowledged. And Sandra Wong joins us again. Hi, Sandra. Welcome back. Thank you so much. As the only Canadian on this yes. episode, I feel that I can be the only one to say, don't moose with me. Thank you for uh, representing Canada on this uh, <laughs> on this podcast about a movie set in Canada. Uh, it, it is... Uh, okay. I, I don't know exactly where to start. This is a... Uh, it is a coming of age story. Uh Litter of right, and what I, one of the things that I like about it, we'll start there, is that it is a, it is, okay. We cover a lot of science fiction and fantasy on here. There are a lot of metaphorical coming of age stories. This one of the things I like about this is it 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 is it is both at the same time. Like it is mm. about uh, our main character May May Lynn. And she's 13 and she's living in Toronto and she's got her friend group and she's got her love of a boy band and she's got her mom who has ideas about what she should be doing with her life. And she is, but she has her, she's carving out her own personal space. She tells us in the narration at the very beginning of the movie, she's carving out space now that she's 13. She likes things that she likes and all of that. And that's all happening. 
and then of course the fantastical thing happens as a as a part of it we we famously debated a lot about kiki's delivery service and what it means when she can't fly and and she doesn't hear her cat anymore and that's obviously a literal coming of age happening there um here she turns into a giant adorable red panda so hard to hide (laughs) it's right out there and i just want to say up front that red panda the cutest thing ever cutest thing ever made by pixar there's a moment where one of her friends is like he's so fuzzy and i i feel like that throughout watching the movie that i love the panda i I love the panda so much but i also love that it's a metaphor for uh for her growing up and uh you know going through adolescence and and we all go through that and look at our bodies and go, oh no, what, is, what terrible thing is happening? It's just she is turning into a giant uh, fuzzy red panda. Magic fuzzy red panda. In a way, it kind of reminds me of the werewolf movie Ginger Snaps, which takes a similarly literal approach to your body is changing. But in that movie, she becomes a werewolf and starts eating people. Right. I did think of Ginger <laughs> Snaps. I did. I really did. I'm wondering, so, um, you know, like full disclosure here, I think I'm only about like five years older than Domi Shi. So I was um, around the same age of the the protagonist when I was uh, in like 1997, 98. So I'm only, you know, a little bit older. So a lot of this movie just felt like very close to home (laughs) for me because, you know, set in 2002, you know, teenage girl who's obsessed with boys and not really sure how to reconcile that with, you know, her, her desire to like still be her parents, you know, perfect child and all of that. Um, And I kind of loved that it was a Pixar movie for kids that was tackling this like very confusing time in in life when you literally do feel like a monster because your feelings are completely uncontrollable and Mm. your body is strange and it's like it smells like I mean when she turns into the panda she literally smells herself and is disgusted there, I mean it's on the so second hilarious. run through I noticed that her, she gets to school and she's complaining about how, how bad she smells and her friend hands her the deodorant and she proceeds <laughs> to rub it all over her body that made me laugh that, I mean that, it's just so yeah. true and yeah. like I think that the perception of young girls especially is that like that they don't necessarily have the same kind of struggles with puberty as boys and I mean at least for me like I didn't get to see that when I was growing up in terms of depictions of coming of age most of the coming of age stories that I consumed were about boys and so it's just so nice to see you know this this young girl <laughs> going through this kind of really tumultuous time in her life and and it's so real um and and very very kind of like poignant to see her supported by all of her friends um and but also it's like incredibly realistic despite the fact that she turns into a big red panda right it's the the awkwardness is there even without the panda which i that's that's sort of what i was getting at is i kind of appreciate that it is it is both the usual and also the fantastical just to magnify it exactly I think we're we're of a similar age, Joy, because uh, I'm I'm I think I'm, I'm I you know I graduated high school in 2001, and the transportation back to this era before smartphones, mm. um, realizing that um, that yeah, this is something that there's a translation a translation layer that that this uh, has to go through to kids where they're like, oh well, why aren't they taking all those photos on their on their phones? Well, because you could take photos on phones, the most expensive phones, and the photos would look terrible. Um, so, of course, you would want to line up and have photographs taken that that uh, that would actually look half decent. Um, but yeah, the, the trappings of that time 
um, are so note perfect in ways that we've gotten loads and loads and loads and loads of 80s movies. Um, this feels so, so well fleshed out in its portrayal of that time and especially the boy band craze. Um, it's it's I mean, One Direction and and BTS um, are are more recent Touchstones. I was going to say, boy bands are forever, Moises. What are you talking about? (laughs) Boy boy bands are forever, but but the the fact that 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 back then it was that there there were like two, and now there are like eight. Um, And it was like the dominant culture. It really was. Mm -hmm. Yes. Either either you were you were in that, or you were not in that, or you were in that and acting like you were not into that. Um, (laughs) And and look, there's nothing wrong with still knowing all the choreo to bye bye bye. Yeah, Um, here's a very 2002 (laughs) thing I have to say. I was not into boy bands, but some of the people I followed on Live Journal were very into NSYNC. (laughs) I mean, I was a teenager in the '80s, so uh, all those '80s films. Uh, yeah, I know about yep. them, but yep. so I can't, I can't speak to the milieu of 2002 as a, as a turning into a teen. That's like almost preteen. I know 13 technically is a teen, but you're so little, you're so young, but I can speak to what it's like being a 13 year old Chinese Canadian girl. Um, and I just found so many things to just, they were so hilarious cause they were so spot on. Like the sheer drama <laughs> of May, like in the split second, she'll feel, you know, the highs of singing a, a four town song and then boom, the next thing, one blink. And then she's just in the depths of despair. And that was just very much a certain kind of experience as a teenage girl um, coming of age, as you say, and, you know, caught between girlhood and all the things with mommy uh, or mummy, as um, some of us say in Canada, <laughs> mummy, uh, versus, you know, being your own person and figuring that out. I, I love that she has this band of friends. And I mean, there are four of them. So, you know, four forever. And and how they're they're weird, and but they're so fully themselves. And that's just so fun to see. Really, really fun to see. My experience growing up Chinese-Cuban in Texas was that I had myself when I was at school and then I would get home and telenovelas or Chinese dramas would be on TV mm-hmm. that my dad would be just inhaling. Didn't matter what it was. Didn't matter how many times they were retelling the story of Empress Wu Zetan. Uh, didn't matter. <laughs> like, uh, that that's just what would be on TV. Yeah. And, and seeing her switch modes was, I mean, it was so many things in this movie moved me to tears just because... Um, I had never seen it in an animated movie like this before that mm-hmm. an entire generation and the generations upon generations of kids after this are going to see. Yeah. I mean, when I was 13, I would go to school, put on makeup and be like that at school. And I get home and sneak into the bathroom, wash all the makeup off and then say hi to my parents. So <laughs> that was, that was my experience. It was, you know, that's a version, right. Of, of, um, it's like code switching, I guess is what you're saying, Moises. Mm-hmm. And that little bit, you know, when and May and her and her mom Ming are watching that Chinese drama, that was so that was like that took me right back to my childhood. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I I the way I read that, too, is that this is these are yet other ways where she's got her life with her parents, which is part of who she is, but also exploring this outside life 
I'm sorry, I almost said like innies and outies for the severance. It's another thing. It's a different show. But like, right, she's got her <laughs> life with her parents and then she's got a life that she's trying to establish on the outside. And they're both like when she's at home, her dad is cooking. I like that, too, that her dad is the cook. Her, her dad is always making mm. something and everybody's like, oh, we really want to eat his food. He's really a great cook. And they're watching the dramas and all of that. And and her mom, you know, her mom is what what my friend uh referring to his mom called a uh, control enthusiast um she's got a little of that she sort of wants it the way she wants it um but but this is this is may's life and 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 then she's got her other life and it's the it's the really awkward point where they collide that that causes so much of the friction right like like uh i i was struck by the fact and this is definitely something that i remember from my childhood where other friends of yours are blamed for all <laughs> failings it's like you shouldn't hang out with that friend because they're weird they they like this thing and you're like yes yes it is they who are weird to, and the, to this and that's day going, yeah that's to right this it's day them. to this day my mom will go i'll say oh hey uh you remember so and so yeah he he works for like a gun manufacturer now and he you know went to jail and whatever and she went oh i told you he was a bad influence <laughs> <laughs> the thing that i related to the most was something that never happened to me, thank God. But it didn't have anything to do with the pandas. It's when the mother finds the fan art of the clerk and drags her to yeah. the store. Oh, uh, God. I could still feel the horror I felt when I saw that happening. And that's not about a, turning into a panda or anything. That's just strictly... She's turning into a weird teenager with weird urges, and her mother doesn't know how to deal with it. And, oh, God. Yeah, she drew pictures of a boy. Let's go yell at the boy. That's right. <laughs> Just, like, searching for the logic there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's quite a scene, right? So she's, she's doing her math. And she's she's doing her perfect student thing. She's got got her got her A, got her hundred percent, all of that. And she's doing her homework and she's doodling in the margins and it's the it's the boy from the convenience store. And there's that moment where she's like, uh, gonna go under the bed and do the secret fan art drawing now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's uh, I I thought that was a remarkable scene because that is there there are several things in this movie that I'm like all right they are talking about these things that are totally real things but that movies often will just avoid talking about and this is like like she likes the boy and drawing pictures of the boy gets her excited and there's it's not really anything wrong with it but she feels shame and so she hides it and then of yeah. course there's good reason that she hides it because then her mom finds it and, and <laughs> it's incredibly embarrassing yeah oh, and the way that um, Ming like freaks out at Devin the the um, Daisy Mart clerk yeah. really pre presages what she's going to do with the friends, right? When they right. find, when she finds um, May at Tyler's birthday party, right? She's all, she's never, she's not willing to see what her daughter is becoming, that her daughter is becoming something else. So I love that theme. I love that theme. I think, and I think they, I think they wrote Ming the mum character in a, like a really compassionate way. She's, mm. I'm just going to say it. She's nutso. She is, mm. uh, yeah, she really wants things her way. And of course we understand why later in the film, everything that needs to be perfect and we see why she's like that. But at the same time, um, for me anyway, I did see that thread of, you know, deep 
an abiding love in that family, as well as on the, you know, um, May's outside life, as you're calling it, Jason, her, <laughs> her love with her friends. And that was just so wonderful. Just so wonderful to see that. There's none of that, you know, oftentimes in teen movies, you'll see, um, you'll see the tearing down of each other. Uh, teenage girls do, maybe when they're a little bit older than 13. But uh, I know in real life, it can start as, as young as that age. So it was really wonderful to see this, um, this love between the friends and how they're just, you know, ride or die. I love that expression. <laughs> they're ride or die friends, you know, and every, every person, every teenager deserves a ride or die crew. Yeah. I love the construction of Ming as a character. I mean, the the chipao that she wears, you know, the traditional dress, um, but, you know, with modern accents, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she is very buttoned up and very precise and very, um, very correct about everything. But there, there's one glaring Canadianism that I, I would I'd be remiss if I didn't point out, which is Sandra O's from Ottawa. And that's why she pronounces Toronto, Toronto, mm-hmm. which is uh, not how people from Toronto no, no. it is <laughs> not. It, I mean, it took me completely out of the movie, Jason. Shocking. Uh, I was I outrageous. Was really, it, it broke me, honestly. Also, also people saying a boot instead of a boat. <laughs> Come on. No, it's uh, that's fair. Fair enough. Yeah. The, the mom. I So I first time watching it, I got to the scene where she yells at the clerk after she finds the art. And I thought, oh, this is this is it's pushing me to the limits of being angry with this character and also thinking that this is such an extreme, like just super extreme reaction. It's like, would anybody, anybody ever do this? And then I was thinking, I had a friend friend whose parent, whose parents were immigrants. They were from Hungary. um, And uh, she, the mom, she totally would have done this. So there was that aspect of it. But I like that it's tempered with like, we are always clear that while she has her own ideas sometimes about what May should be and what May should do, her motivations are clear. She's not a monster. I mean, she turns into a monster later. Okay, I take it back. I withdraw that. She's not entirely Did you see a what monster. To the sky dome. I understand though, right? Like she's her behavior is understandable, even if it's not always commendable. And that is the difference for me: is that she's not just awful. Yeah. She she cares, and then you know she also takes it too far in 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 the regular in the regular life, and then also when she later transforms into a giant panda monster and rips the roof off the sky dome. <laughs> Well, she's trying so hard to preserve this, you know, perfect relationship that she has with her daughter because she remembers what happened with her mother. And I think that's one of the beautiful aspects of the script is that they really show. And I mean, it's this gorgeous, funny little scene where, you know, she's complaining about May and she's like, I don't know where she gets this from. Why is she treating us like this? And then the mom's on the phone and and, and Jen's like, oh, it's your mother. And she immediately like curls up into a ball. She's yep. like, I'm not here. Uh, so, I mean, of course, it's very clear to see like she's she's trying to repair this, you know, broken relationship with her mother through her own daughter. Um, and and it just it puts a nice um, it, it just puts a nice three dimensional shape um, to that relationship so that it doesn't come across, Jason, like you were saying, like just kind of like a stretching the limits of, oh, is this really a person here? Um, because you can actually see like this is where she's coming from. And, you know, she's just trying so hard to, you know, keep keep hold of everything because she she was literally out of control once and it just broke her relationship right. with her mother. And Mothers and Daughters is fundamentally when we talk about the fantastical element of this story that's what it is right this is a mm. the, the pa- panda power is also passed down from mother to daughter so 
all of this is about the relationships between mothers and daughters in the in this from all the way back in the ancestors from the 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 you know legendary ancestor who made the um deal with the red panda god uh it's always been you know mothers and daughters since then um so it's it's like yeah there's a lot i mean like that's why i think this movie is so good is that it is playing on all these levels simultaneously you know, um, I mean, yeah. th- there's the recency bias, but I feel like this is really one of the best movies Pixar has made pound for pound all around. And it also is the first Pixar movie that has a completely female senior staff. Yep. Um, yeah, all of the I department heads were women. Um, and the efficiency with which they set the stage for which the giant pandas will crash into. I mean, in the first five <laughs> minutes, we're introduced to her best friends. And in the first 15 minutes, we have met not only them, but we know that one of the members of four towns going to art school and one of them fosters English doves and one of them speaks French. Um, and, and that all definitely comes back later. It yeah. all ties up at and the, the end of the movie. And, they're those, and, the, and the other two are great too. The other two, <laughs> the other two are both named Aaron. Aaron. <laughs> yep. And there are five of them. And by the way, perfect timing. I, I, I say to myself, why are there five of them and it's called four town about a minute before uh, Ming says, why are there five of them? It's like, yeah, I, I'm with you there, mom. I know. I don't, it's a boy band. Don't ask questions. It's, there's no good answer there. Um, the other thing that happens in the very beginning, um, since you mentioned Moises in the first, in addition to learning about Fort Town, I want to give this movie a lot of credit for being brave enough to let it all hang out when it comes to who May is. Um, they, she is a 13 year old girl in all the things that are great about them and all the things that are super awkward and kind of cringy about them. And the movie lets her be that. And she feels really real, including the parts that as a, as an adult, <laughs> I look at and I'm like, Oh oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was like. You would. And I, I admire it. I think that the movie doesn't shy away from all of the, things that some of which are you know kind of cringy about the behavior of being 13 it's like it's all part of the package the enthusiasm the love of their friends and the and the bands that they love and all that like it's all just part of the package you can't sand it off and i I like that it does that because i do think that by doing that it risks putting some space between the audience and the main character where they're like oh brother what is she what is she talking about and it's like I just I like that the movie is like no we're going to do this this is what the movie is about which which I think Moises maybe goes to your point too about uh, the people who made this movie who really did um, especially Domi Shi but the whole the whole group but Domi Shi especially is like this is kind of her story about herself in a lot of ways and and she wants it to be authentic and it does feel authentic even in letting some of the stuff that may does make you be like oh, oh yeah mm-hmm, cringy cringy 13 year old <laughs> stuff just let it be in there and it is. Yeah. I mean, 13 is such a specific age. And, um, you know, like in my day job, I'm a teacher and um, a librarian. And and when I am around other librarians, like one of the things that my middle school colleagues, you know, will talk about is um, that it's very rare to find like the the true middle grade novel, like the novel that is actually written mm. for um Mm, like 11 to 13 and it's because it's a very specific time and there's like a whole set of issues and things that kids are going through at that time that are very different from like the things that you'll find in a true YA novel and a true like children's you know chapter book so I think of this movie as like the true middle grade movie like it is in 
perfectly for that age group because, you know, she's, you know, 13 years old and she's thinking of herself as a woman. I I think they talk about becoming women several times in the movie, which is one of the cutest and most adorable things. Um, You know, so they're really thinking themselves as so adult now because they can do all these things. But like they are so obviously children (laughs) still. Mm -hmm. And even in the way that they're kind of like, you know, staring at the boy in (laughs) in the mini mart. And May, you know, you kind of see her go through this journey where at the beginning she's like, ew, Devin, he's so scruffy. Like, I like this, you know, this beautiful (laughs) Robert from Fortown. And then she has this realization like, oh, no, this boy is cute, too. And now and then she thinks all boys are cute. So it's really, really perfect way to show like, yes, 13 year old girls are incredibly weird Um, and (laughs) for me, like and because I'm Korean American and, you know, like even more than just seeing like Asian protagonists on screen, which is very exciting for me, like watching this movie and just seeing this like very strange, awkward, you know, young person who is going through puberty and like dealing with having to be a perfect kid and but still like want to be grown up and and lust after boys like that felt so true to my experience as a teenager. Like I felt more seen just through the the writing of the character as a kid, um, even more than any like just, you know, cultural representation, um, because it, it's very real, like and, you know, you were talking before about like her that scene of her drawing the fan art. And there was that tweet going around Twitter about like, um, you know, I don't know, like quote tweet this with the weird fan art that you drew or whatever. And I didn't write <laughs> fan fiction or draw fan art. But like my diary from that time period, which, you know, I have all my journals still. It's just page after page of all the different boys that I had crushes on. And because there were several. And like, that's just what life is like. I mean, it was for me. So I feel like it's just such authentic writing. Yeah. I And I want to piggyback onto that, Joy. That's so great because um, <laughs> it's true. There's all this like hormonal stuff going on about the opposite sex. But at the same time, you feel like totally gross because let's let's face it, this movie is also about menstruation and the beginning yep. of menstruation and men's, men, the menses. So, you know, that is... Uh, the direct tie into Ginger Snaps. So thanks for bringing that up, Monty. <laughs> it's, like, it's like someone was like, someone said Ginger Snaps, but Pixar. And then this was the movie that came out. Um, so I, I just love the, that. Uh, I loved how they had May, you know, she's realizing on her own, surprising herself that she's attracted to this, this scruffy boy. And, um, and that's really so real. Like you're just like, oh, gross. Because, She'll say, oh, that's gross and he's gross and he's scruffy or whatever and uh, but I think that's because internally she doesn't know what to do with these feelings, right? Mm, they're they're mm-hmm. they're massive, they're confusing, they're I know, and it's not just teenage girls, right? Of course, um teenage boys, people who are gender fluid, who are non-binary, they everyone has these feelings like, I don't know what to do with this. I feel strange about this person when I look at them, but I can't stop looking at them. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's and that's I mean, we have we've talked very little about people turning into pandas, um, mostly because <laughs> right like this is the, that's the beauty of As this movie, does. I think, is yeah. that this movie d- really does make an effort to m- make it be about these characters and this girl who is going through her coming of age moment. And uh, and, and in fact, her turning into a red panda is mistaken by her mother and father for her having her first period. 
When in fact, which is weird, if her mother knows that she's going to turn into a panda. By the way, there's some dialogue <laughs> later that, sh- that that suggests that they they just figured it would happen in the other order, and that that the, the panda part would happen much later. And maybe it's true that maybe you know generally there's a sequence to these things, and she's got it a little out of order. She's a precocious panda morph. That's yeah. got to talk to your daughters about menstruation before you think it's going to happen. That's the moral of the movie. The, it, <laughs> I think I think it's one of them, right? <laughs> like just denial is not going to help things because then she's you know chasing her. Daughter to school with her pads, um, which is uh, super embarrassing. So perfect. Yeah, the, I mean the the setup <laughs> the setup early on with her friend group and uh, you know Joy being uh, of of a similar generation. Uh, Sailor Moon was dubbed and put on American TV when I was in the middle grade zone that she describes, mm. and all of my male friends were into Dragon Ball, and that's great. And good for them. Um, but Sailor Moon was where it was at. Sailor Moon had an actual story. Uh, it had engaging different people that weren't just guys with their sleeves ripped off punching each other. Um, and the movie sets up this group of friends that like in Sailor Moon kind of color code their their wardrobe um, so efficiently um, and and do something that that legendary anime and manga series took in in the tv show probably like 10 episodes to set up all of those or actually probably even more than that um her her friend group we we get them so early on that they are part of this journey with her and it's like we have known them as mm. long as she has known yeah. them in five minutes it's, it's very impressive in five minutes you really have a sense five of minutes. who those who those girls are a lot of a lot of anime references in this movie too dragon ball z are, is not referenced i don't think no, but sailor really. sorry, <laughs> sorry guys uh but sailor moon you you pointed out i i am not conversant in sailor moon but i understand there are many i i i definitely picked up all of the miyazaki love that's in there at various points because there's that too there's a lot of you can you know there's a lot of of love for um anime stuff that that the animators have have specifically put in if you want to call anything out moises okay uh, i mean you know when she leaps across the moon you know headed headed to the uh headed to the stadium at the end of the movie um i mean lots of lots of the little domestic stuff just like you know sitting around and making food i love the eyes when they get the like the uh, it's so too it's too cute eyes everybody gets those eyes (laughs) it's like anime eyes and th- like that's some of the stuff that people who are wrong complained about uh, saying, oh, well, this isn't Pixar style. And I'm like, I don't think that Pixar has just one style, guys. No. Yeah. Um, I-, I think it's I think it is cool that at some points, like the the look and the feel of everything tactily, like it, it looks verging on claymation, like like everything. There's, you know, there's some Wallace and Gromit figurine. mouths yeah. uh, that yeah. they may makes. She makes a she makes a real Wallace and Gromit mouth at many points. <laughs> it's a grimacing emoji, right? It's that yeah, one. Yeah. Um, teeth. I mean, mm-hmm. like the, the other, the other two big anime influences that I was like, th- th- this had to have influenced this, that the, the documentary that's also on Disney plus, um, uh, called out or some interview did are Ranma one half where, uh, you, you have a protagonist who changes form and fruits basket, which involves people changing form into animals. Um, and they're both wonderful. Um, fruits basket, I think holds up better than Ranma at this point. Um, but seeing seeing a big mainstream animated movie that was that is so flagrantly um living those influences on its sleeve um and and not not doing much to bury them just plain flat out going 
You've seen Sailor Moon, right? Check that out. That's a thing from Sailor Moon. I, see, I, would, ar- <laughs> I would argue that this is right in line with the Pixar culture, right? Because Pixar yeah. loves animation and Pixar loves all animation. And we know famously that it was John Lasseter who did all of the, you know, Miyazaki uh, things to get the Disney and all of that. And, you know, he's gone. He, he's gone now. <laughs> and then and then Miyazaki and Ghibli hated him for yes, it. <laughs> I, yes, I know. But, but what I'm saying is that there's a long tradition of Pixar loving... Uh, all sorts of styles of animation and paying homage to them. So why would they? Why would they not do this? In fact, it's perfect that they do this here, and I thought it was delightful. Now, before the show continues, I want to take a break, not for an ad. You don't need to skip for an ad, but I do want to tell you about something. You are listening to the non-member version of The Incomparable, the free version. And I want to let you know there is another version. You notice we've added a bunch of ads. A lot of times they're kind of uh, inserted ads with different voices and things like that. And you might be saying, Jason, what's the deal there? And it's like, yeah, we've got a new ad system because this is a free podcast. And one of the ways that we support it is through advertising. However, there's another way and it's a better way. And if you want to become a member of The Incomparable... You can get a version of this very show with no ads in it. It also has extra stuff in it. It's really worth doing, and I really encourage you to check it out. So here's what you would do. You go to theincomparable.com slash members, and you sign up. And then you can choose what shows on our network you want to support. If you just want to support the mothership, you can check the box for The Incomparable. All said and done, not a problem. If you listen to other shows on our network, you can check their boxes and support them too. We divide your support across all the shows whose boxes you check, so it's all equitable. And you'll get a lot of extras. The ad-free version of The Mothership, a bootleg feed with the recordings of our live streams the moment we're finished with them. There are a whole bunch of extras in the month of May. This is our member drive month. Everybody's doing extras. We're going to do some commentary tracks. I think this one is going to be real genius. And there are a bunch of others in the feed. We've been doing this program for several years now. And when you become a member, you get access to the podcast feed with all of the extras we have ever done. If you listen to Total Party Kill, there's a Total Party Kill feed with new episodes that we've been recording. We're like a year ahead, basically. There's a video podcast feed version of that. There's so many different things you get, plus a really great community in a Slack where you can talk to other people who listen to our podcast, and uh, they're pretty awesome too. Their contribution levels at five, ten, and twenty dollars a month. You can also do an annual equivalent if you want. If you would like to support us, go to theincomparable.com/members to sign up. And if you want to keep listening to the free version, we appreciate you listening to that too. You'll just get ads, and that's okay too. Thank you for your consideration and for listening to the Incomparable. Pandas. There are so many pandas. So May becomes a panda. I, I like that they 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 try to set the rules for how she becomes a panda. Also, we discover very quickly that her I like well, I like that she breaks everything because she's a giant panda, like a, a room filling red panda. So she breaks her bed. Her parents end up like having an empty room with a mattress on the floor so that she doesn't break stuff. It it is uh I, I like all of the how it's treated kind of like the reality of the disaster of having a giant red panda in your house would be. And then I also love that we almost immediately get her friends who discover this, but also she realizes that they calm her down. Um, and with their with their kind of unconditional love, they calm her down. And that even when she gets kind of angry when she's around them, there's like she's still in her happy place so that they uh, provide a level of support and control. Like she's got a support group, an emotional support group with these friends that allows her to function at school, which was already true. But now it's true that she won't turn into a panda unless, you know, then there's jerk on the playground and stuff like that. <laughs> I think that's all. I think that's all beautiful. 
Um, and then later there's the kind of like you follow that down the path of what if we did merchandising and sold t-shirts and had people take their picture <laughs> with the panda and the panda can go to parties and we can make money so that we can go to the concert. And that is a good kind of plot driver part of the of the aspect of the panda. But like I liked that it was not like secret identity panda. It was really like, hey, we got a giant fuzzy panda. Um this could make us some money. <laughs> let's just let's, <laughs> let's just do it. Although not before that first scene where she's freaking out in the bathroom and the, and the girl comes out of the stall and she pushes her back in and she just literally just slides her back into the stall. Yeah. I was like, that's some good stuff. That's some good I stuff. I love that. That's the girl later who come you know comes into the bathroom again and sees her and great great early 2000s detail by the way of her with those butterfly clips like yes absolutely yeah. a hairstyle that i did um and uh you I know bet you killed it <laughs> and you know she sees her again and says oh it is you and it's not just that like her friends support her and are like oh we love you anyway no matter what like they genuinely all love the panda and mm. all the kids at school love the panda and it's you know, I think it's a really smart way to approach the the conflict driving the movie because, you know, you already have May feeling, you know, a lot of conflict about whether or not this panda is a good thing. And so to have it be, you know, this part of her identity that is very accepted by not only her closest friends, but even kids at school who she doesn't even really know very well and like the school quote unquote bully who, you know, turns out to be their new bestie at the end because he's a secret for townie, which great, great plot twist, by yes. the way. Um, and and I think that that's just really great because, you know, you already have enough conflict with her at home Um and her parents, well, her mom specifically really wanting her to, you know, go through the ritual and and put the panda aside um so for her to be able to have this safe space with her friends and you know to be able to think about her friends who love her exactly the way she is and for that to be the thing that allows her to control it um it's it's just beautiful writing what i liked about it is that it avoids hulk problems yeah i will explain mm -hmm. hulk problems in a hulk movie the crowd the audience wants to see hulk we want to see the green guy smashing things but uh Bruce Banner doesn't want to become Hulk. So the whole time you're going, would you stop? Just Hulk out already. Come on, Hulk. <laughs> and here we obviously, you know, I like her as a human, but I love her as a giant fuzzy red panda. And I appreciate that the movie finds excuses for her to go, you know what? Yes, I'm going to be a red panda frequently. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's funny that you mentioned the Hulk too because I just want to throw out that I think there is definitely a read. I know I talked about this with Moises. I think there's definitely a read of this movie that is it's kind of a superhero origin story. Yeah. <laughs> okay, st bear with me here because yeah. yeah, she kind of follows Hulk rules although mm. ends up embracing it instead because then once she's around her friends especially she gets more control over it but like she saves the day at the end and and the, like she's part of the league of pandas or whatever and i just i like that and then there's the question of her secret identity or is she going to be public about it i just like i like that it's not it's not a superhero movie at all and yet it knows enough about that and it knows we know enough about that that it can play some yeah. of those notes 
and I like is, that. Though. It kind of is though. It like I'm, is. I'm arguing, I'm arguing with you to support you because like Sailor Moon, <laughs> Sailor Moon, people classify it as, oh, it's a romance anime and it is, but it is also a superhero anime. It is about this group of five girls fighting ultimate evil. I mean, um, she and has in this case, she does. She in this, in this case, ultimate evil is generational trauma. And, mm-hmm. you know, the first day she goes to school with the red hair, you know, she puts on a, a, a toque. We would call it a beanie in the States, but I'm going to call it a toque because that's what it is. Canva. Thank uh, you. Because, uh, you know, toques, uh, toques cover all manner sense. All right. Uh, and it, 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 it very much it has all of those notes and it's it's perfectly fine as a movie being being a bunch of different things that have this, you know, sort of Hulk story at the middle of it, but it doesn't involve her sadly walking down the street and going <laughs> right, to a different the town music at the end of each episode. No. Um, but I, I, so, like some of the other things that, that I think intersect nicely with that is her friend group, they're introduced and we, we get to know them at the beginning, but kind of like a superhero story, they have their B, C, D, and E little micro storylines that are happening sometimes without dialogue. You know, one of them's dancing with somebody at this dance and, um, and we're getting additional bits of development from each of them and, and something I didn't I, I, I didn't I didn't really recognize until after seeing the movie and talking about it with somebody was it does not have what I refer to as the data problem uh, data from the Goonies where there's the one Asian friend. Mm. It's a multi-ethnic group of kids who and like one of them is white and that matches a lot more of my life experience than anything else like the world is multi-ethnic you know North America um, US and Canada um, you know, you have a diversity of of people and stories and sexual identities. Um, and even even though the movie is very firmly May and her moms, um, the four of them are getting to do are getting to do interesting little things in 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 amounts that don't overpower the main Hulk narrative, um, but that nicely, you know, that, that nicely build out. Our, our supporting cast and and doesn't fully marginalize them. It, it gives each of them so, some interesting development to do uh, to the point that I, I would love I would love to see what happens when this group goes off to college. <laughs> <laughs> I would argue, actually, that all superhero, you know, origin stories are also coming of age oh, yeah. stories because yeah. you're, you know, you're coming into your powers. And you got to figure out what you're going to do, what people expect of you, what you expect of yourself. And then what do you do about it? Okay. So okay. I, think I was soft totally... peddling at people. This is absolutely <laughs> yeah. a superhero origin movie. <laughs> you you, you yes, won, Jason. Is. You convinced us. It took, a, right. it took a lot of effort. That's right. I wanted to also uh, bring, just come back to uh, thematically the coming of age uh, story line. And then thematically, the fact that um, what calms May down uh, from, you know, raging panda is thoughts of her friends versus thoughts of her mom and how her mom automatically assumes. <laughs> I mean, all, she automatically assumes it. And, and because May knows that she's automatically assuming it, she lies and says, yes, I think of the people I love the most, which is you. <laughs> and like for, I think for um, any person at that age, that is, you know, Often, what what the the tug of war is, right? It's it's the influence of your parents and their expectations, and of your family versus this like brave new world, exciting new world of friends and all of their worlds and all the stuff you can experience and and how you feel more affinity with your friends than you do with your parents. Whatever age that is, I think there's an age that that happens for everybody, and I just love that 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 they just put that in there without making it a really huge big deal and. Um, yeah, I thought it really worked thematically. 
that makes me think of the the dodgeball match where she she doesn't fully become the ink red Ibull Panda, uh, but but her arm does, mm-hmm. and and that you know that coming why was of that age an period, illegal throw? Why was it, it an illegal throw? Because why? of the Panda why? arm? Why? 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 Because it, make sense she to me. aimed at the head. Oh. You're not supposed to throw uh, at the head. Also, she would have killed yeah. him if it had hit him in the head. Yeah, so. pretty much. <laughs> but it's uh, like that. It, it it ties to that thing where you're like, oh, I can I can run faster mm. and I can jump higher. And what are these powers yes. I have? I have I have. Uh, and it would be a really great promotional tool for our family temple, which it they also do at the end is like, oh, this is where you get to meet the panda. So, of course, it, business has never been better at the family temple. Like, yes. Capitalism. I'm shocked that business That's is better. good because they're apparently doing a real cheap fundraiser to repair the sky dome. The roof of the sky dome, yeah. It's a bargain. Yeah. Um, the... Only a Canadian judge. Uh, Joyce said something earlier that I wanted to come back to because I, I think this is one of the great things about the themes of this of this movie, which is the idea that 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 um, Malin is accepted by her outside world, and it's not just her friend group, but as the panda, she is accepted by the school and by the people on the outside. They love the panda, and what's great about that is that thematically. Her family is ashamed of the panda. Her family mm. doesn't want to let the panda out. As far as we know, going way back, every woman in this family has put the panda in a little locket or or <laughs> dispatched it into the ether via the locket and uh, and gotten rid of it and be, because they're uh, they're afraid of it or they're ashamed of it or whatever. And so when May decides to keep her panda, which is a big cheering moment because nobody wants to say goodbye to the panda. And it's like, no, 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 don't make it the panda into a ghost that flies away like all the other pandas. I want to keep this panda. But when she does that, she's not doing it as an act of rebellion. She's not doing it because her mother wants her to, you know, to follow family tradition and and she's going to do what she wants. She's, she's doing it at least in part because she has found acceptance mm. in the outside world as the panda like the her community does not make her ashamed of who she is as a giant fur- furry panda who's adorable and i i like that about it i really love it about that choice that that choice is not it's based on the fact that she has a welcoming community who who likes the panda and it's sort of a tragedy that up to now the panda has been this mark of shame that's what's amazing to me about her breaking the cycle of generational trauma that that's really her heroic act. Yeah. I think that that's speaking to the immigrant experience because clearly uh, grandma is the one who immigrated. And uh, so that would make Ming second generation and Mei Lin is third generation. And so, I mean, when Ming tells a story to Mei Lin about the red panda and and um, the story with her family, she says, you know, for forever and ever and ever generations, we had this in our family, but then our family decided to come to a new place. And that's when they really had to stop right. showing it. Right. So I thought that was a very clear indication of why. Um, so and they came to North know, America and they, and they suppressed right. the panda. Because it made them even weirder, even more mm. different. And that's the, uh, that's the thing about the immigrant experience. No matter what country you're coming from, you're coming to Canada, um, you're, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure to fit in and not be 
too different. Uh, so I think that's what that's speaking to. I thought it was so great. And, and um, to me also, as an immigrant myself to Canada, I love the styling of the <laughs> the rest of the women. In, <laughs> oh my gosh. That anti-squad was amazing. That anti-squad and grandma, I yeah. recognized those ladies. Oh, yeah. I, I was like, oh yeah, that's like auntie. Okay. And that was auntie. Oh yeah. Yeah. That looked just like, I had women in my life, um, my mom's generation, um, my grandma's generation, my papa's generation. I was like, oh yeah, that's totally what they look like in 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it was so great. And um, I also just want to bring up now while I have a chance that like the use of color that uh, the other women in May's family are all dressed in uh, blues and greens and with a tiny bit of purple. Um, But May herself is in pinks and reds. And I thought Mm. that was a very interesting like it's yeah. just like no one's going to say anything about it, but it's this like bright um, contrast in colors about where they are in their lives. And these are the women who've had to suppress their red panda. And and May is still, you know, she's living with her. So I thought that was really great too, visually, thematically. I love the various things that they they skipped telling story of in dialogue that, you know, one makes their own headcanon for. In my case with the aunties, it was that, okay, well, Ming's family still lives in downtown Toronto and the anti-squad and grandma live in the GTA. And like one of them lives in Oakville and one of them's in Mississauga and one of them's in Etobicoke. This is, this is my tight 30 of specifically Toronto uh-huh. humor. Yep, exactly. um, <laughs> it's going over great with like 5% of our audience. It's going over huge in the six. And that's the only Drake reference I'm ever going to make. Um, uh, <laughs> um, but, but I, I love that. I love that you get the feeling from this family that, that they are, you know, they, they don't live too far from each other, but not too close to each other, but they definitely live close enough to each other that the anti-squad can assemble at the drop of a hat and be anywhere in 30 minutes. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Something something to follow up on something that Sandra said, um, and, and a, a comment in our in our live chat as we're recording this from David Schaub, another Canadian, by the way, um, is the idea, I wonder if you have any thoughts on the idea of how it is May's generation that feels welcome enough and comfortable enough to let the panda out after her mother and grandmother chose not to is there is there something there about how you know maybe they they needed to withhold this as as immigrants to Canada but that May is basically shaking them up and saying we don't we don't need to do this anymore I want to be my uh, own complete authentic self what do you think about the uh, the generational change that May represents Oh yeah, it's so true. Yeah, <laughs> it's I mean, so true. She was basically Absolutely. raised to be a narc, right? I mean, and 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 tre- I mean, she was raised to be a narc. She's treated like a pet or property. She is called like a narc at one were. point. In fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she is, she is so well trained as a narc that she can't resist the impulses when she has them, even though she every every other fiber of her being fights them. Yeah, I mean, it is so in that way too. It's not just coming of age, right? But it's a generational. 
um, a generational change. It's that it's that younger generation saying, "I don't need to necessarily follow this thing that we that we've done since we came to North America." Um, as well, I want to also throw into the pot there that that the family business is the culture of the ancestors and the red panda. I think that's fascinating because that's also another little angle, right? That like they there that is that is her mom's business. And yet behind it, there's this whole other part where it's like, we don't talk about that part of the ancestors. And I really like that. Like that it's it's a it's a narrative that she's constructed. Um, that sh- that she has edited and perhaps her mother also did, but she has edited out the parts of the of the narrative that she doesn't want to deal with. I thought I think that's really interesting, mm. too, because it's not like, oh, no, yeah. no, we never talk about our past. You know, I just work downtown and your your father works across town and and we just have our jobs and it's nothing. It's like, no, their job is literally their culture and their history. And yet it's like, no, 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 we're not going to talk about that part. But a, yeah, but a very carefully curated version, right? Which is often yeah. what immigrants do. <laughs> but also uh, in stories like this, a lot of stories like this, Maylin would hate the family business. She would be all, yeah. I don't want to sweep the temple. No, she likes sweeping she loves the it. temple. She loves working with her family. And I, I think that's very important yeah. that she's not constantly i hate everything chinese i'm canadian no she's both and she wants to be both yeah Mm. i i mean i got that as a kid i got loads of peer pressure not just from I, i would get the peer pressure but i would also even get it from parents going into college of you're not chinese you're not cuban you're american um, you know, why do you celebrate Chinese New Year? You are, are you a red spy? Like loads of communist jokes. Not only was I a communist, I was a double communist. Um, but at least I <laughs> ate well. I ate well, and that's what really matters. But but that 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 really was the thing that that I appreciated the most because from when I was very young, like my, my name is Moises, but my my own mother would tell teachers, oh, just call him Moses. It'll be easier for the other kids. Uh, one of those teachers, uh, one of her master's students who of her own volition said, I'm just going to call you Moses because it's going to be easier for everybody else. Um, and like that sort of assimilation that wasn't even my choice was something that pushed me away from wanting to look into stuff on top of, you know, other kids saying stuff. I mean, I, I'm, I am not as visibly Asian as other people are. And I would literally get into arguments with other kids on the playground uh, where I would it, it, it was very much like the model minority myth. I had to take a test. I had to pass the test. And once I had passed the test of proving to them that I was Asian enough to make fun of, then came the, the racial slurs and all the jokes. Um, and I don't need to repeat any of them, but the jokes. Everybody knows what the jokes are. And having Maylin embrace everything about herself um, it, it was, it was, it was like seeing my own little Maymay, my own little sister who was, who was getting to be herself and who wasn't being pushed away from that. Like I was. Yeah. I mean, and Toronto is like one of the most multicultural cities in the world. So it totally made sense. I mean, of course the Domishi was, that was her background, but it totally makes sense to set it there and to allow that to be the backdrop and to make it believable that May would not feel the same pressures, you know, to hide her Chineseness, her her non-whiteness. Um, yeah, I thought that was really cool. So many kids will look, you know, from West Virginia will look at Toronto as 
this this halcyon paradise <laughs> that they must escape to. <laughs> and when you're 13, oh. you're an adult as far as the public transit authority is concerned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Apparently so. You're paying adult prices, man. Sandra, I actually just wanted to ask you about that because like as an American, you know, and I grew up in in a suburb of New York City. So like um, I, you know, you would think it's a fairly diverse place, but I was Mm. actually pretty much the only East Asian I knew up until Mm. um, high school. And really, there was just a handful of us. And so it was kind of like we all avoided each other because we all wanted to be the only, um, you know, like you don't want to be lumped into being the gang. Yeah, like we it was it was very, very weird. Um, So for me, like I kind of, you know, I couldn't tell if there was like a little bit of a um, modernizing of of the the way that the kids were behaving in terms of like if we're thinking about the panda as like a metaphor for her um, cultural difference, like ethnic difference um, and if that kind of like just embracing of of difference is more of a now thing than it would have been in like 2002 Toronto. But like, I I don't really know just because I I didn't live there. Um, But I definitely see like within my, you know, the kids that I teach, I work at a high school um, that is definitely more in line with the way that I think that um, kids are now, um, especially with just the way that I think trends have been going where we do encourage kids to really embrace their culture and to be authentically themselves. Yeah. I would like to think I mean, I do think there's some artistic license <laughs> being taken because my my children, I have teenagers. So when they were in, um, my first child was born in 2003. So when they were in elementary school, I guess that's primary school for you Americans, <laughs> um, they did experience uh, racial, you know, slurs on the playground. And that's not that long ago. So I think in some ways... Um, you know, Domi, she as the director, creator, um, driving force behind this film, she does, I think they made a choice to not really deal with that, uh, to deal with racial issues. And I mean, that's a choice you can make. Any creator, any writer can make that choice. And I think that, I think it works here because that's, that's not the story they're telling. That could be a story for somebody else to tell. And, you know, we see a lot of those stories too. But um, Joy, I think sadly, <laughs> I think sadly, there's you know there's a bit of a rose-colored glasses uh, mm-hmm. going on, filter going on. Yeah, but I mean, why not? Why not make art that's aspirational, right? Absolutely. And, and, and yeah. why not you know make this the thing that doesn't have to address that stuff? Mm-hmm. That yeah. you know what? There's mm-hmm. plenty of other places that you can experience <laughs> yeah. the same thing that you know white studio heads think is the only way to portray the Asian experience. Also, I think that the um in a lot of movies that are period pieces where the period is not necessarily totally the point you end up with, you're like, all right, some of the stuff in here is going to be more like now because I'm getting this for an audience now. And, and so I think there's an aspect of that too. I also noticed, and again, I don't care, but I guess go to the IMDB goofs or something like they, they, they the girls say things that were not things in 2002 that are modern. Yeah. It's fine, yeah. right? It is for a modern <laughs> yeah. audience. They're translating whatever thing they would have said in 2002 that we'd be like, huh? What does that even mean? It's like <laughs> we, they, they translated it for us into what a modern audience can understand. She does say the bomb.com. I mean, listen, okay. and that is for sure a thing I said. Very much. <laughs> Probably would still say it, actually. Oh, yeah. I noticed watching back that there were a couple things. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that was, I think that's a more modern term, but it's like, it's fine. 
it's fine like yeah. it is yeah. it is it is made now for our audiences now and it is 2002 enough um and and thank goodness because I mean, then it tamagotchi the, come on tamagotchi yeah. right roger center not the name of the sky dome which is good no. because uh it's always the sky dome i still call always it the sky, the sky dome. dome always always, always. always. It, it is ride or die <laughs> ride or die for the sky dome absolutely um i wanted to mention the, the so the end um May's mom becomes a a, a kaiju panda. Kaiju <laughs> panda. Yeah. Uh, she it's goes, awesome, right? She goes to Skydome to the Four Towns concert. The Four Town boys are dressed like angels and suspended and terrified as the monster comes in, which just made me laugh so much. She takes the sign and throws it down. And it shatters into a million pieces. Everybody's running away. I want a refund, somebody says, because there's always somebody who says something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they have to do in comes the anti squad along well, with Well they spent two hundred dollars for those tickets. I know, Jason, right? And they got to hear part, part of, of one song. song. I know they deserve what a, a refund. They deserve a refund. It's force majeure. So much of the money wasn't damage. It, it wasn't damage to the Sky Dome. They're refunding all those tickets. Yeah, that's. I'm sure that there was insurance, and, and I think a giant red panda is covered under force majeure. But yeah, uh, but I, I just wanted to call. Not only um, are is the anti squad there, and they're going to do a ceremony in order to allow her to be back on the. Um, there's a Panda Power United, basically, where they all work together to prevent the destruction, and and uh, and they do a ceremony to recapture the panda. Uh, entities of the women and especially of Ming and put them in their in 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 various forms, including a Tamagotchi and a and a four town <laughs> yes. necklace. And a, but a, a but, but Jason, Jason, unfortunately, they fall to they fall a uh, victim to one of the great anime tropes, which is they don't have enough power. They need more power. They, they can more power. only mm-hmm. be provided by the voices of four town. Of course, That's, of course. Um, I just wanted to mention that the ceremony that is happening during all of this is performed by Mr. Gao, voice of James Hong. James Hong. James Hong, James Hong James- is in everything and great in everything and bless James Hong. Be. And yes. and and he and he is he is one of he is one of the great uh humanitarians of of uh of Asian American actors because he 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 was instrumental in things like East West Players and other groups that that are you know places that Asian actors uh, actors of Asian extraction have have had to go and perform when nobody was casting them in other stuff. Um, you know while while James Hong was playing Ben Lopan or like you know uh, Asian convenience store uh, owner guy number six or something. Uh, like for for me like legacy wise, I love that he's in here because of. Of of how big he is uh, to Asian American cinema. He, he he performed in a, a a few other major animated films featuring a different kind of panda, uh-huh. um, but but also I just hear I mean he's one of the voice those <laughs> actors where you hear the voice and you're like it's James oh, Hong yeah. I love it yeah. I just I love like, that, oh, that, that he's so James recognizable. Hong. That's getting that's, it's like yeah. there he is. Um, we should talk about Four Town, um, of course, led by the songs written by um, Phineas and his slightly more famous. Uh, sister Billie Eilish, and and Phineas is one of the people who performs in the in the four town as one of the four town voices, and also uh, produced and and performs in the songs. Uh, uh, any thoughts about Four Town, Monty? You have Four Town yes. thoughts? I love that Four Town <laughs> is taken seriously. Uh, there are a lot of boy bands in animated things. Gravity Falls has a boy band called Several Times. Bob's Burgers has Boys for Now, and those bands are always mocked, kind of with love, but still there's an undercurrent of 
this band is dumb and this style of music is dumb and these girls are dumb for liking it. And that's not here at all. What we see of the Four Town Show looks amazing. They show up as angels. (laughs) And the song they sing is good. Like, I was all prepared for at least a du jour level of get it, get it. It's a boy band. And... It doesn't happen at all, and I was so happy about that. Yeah, the songs are amazing. <laughs> They're so catchy. <laughs> They're very I catchy. Never, I was never a boy band fan. I'm I'm always been a folky or a jazz uh, jazz head. So I was like, okay, but oh my gosh, they're so catchy. But I mean, it totally makes sense, Monty, because you know this film is the filter is May. It's really her point of view. So I just love the unabashed. <laughs> adoration and oh the when their wings unfurled it was just like perfection and i mean obviously the filmmakers too right it goes right back to the filmmakers they're like well what do we do for the boy band we could get somebody we we could talk to ludwig gorenson and if who did the score and see if he (laughs) Mm -hmm. knows somebody and all that it's like why i know i've got an idea what if we approach two of the hottest pop stars on the planet and ask them if they will write boy band songs for our Pixar movie. And they did, and they said yes, and that's what's in the movie. Like, that, that is so great. And, you know, Phineas and Billie Eilish are very talented people, and they did, they did good work here. Um, and, and I love that Phineas is like, I will also sing, and I will also be a voice in the boy band, because it's like, he is, he is super into it. And I love that. I, lo- I love that it is the antithesis of a tossed-off joke. It is fully committed, and that's why it's so great. They totally understand the form, too, because yeah. the songs <laughs> are very simple, but like earwormy, and the... <laughs> The introduction of the band with, he, I've got a surfboard. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the songs is, I'm never not on your mind. Like yeah. The, yeah. The, the double negative construction. You're, you're never not on and my mind. Yeah. Oh the my, ballad oh where my. it's like, I drove by your house 95 times. Like, like there's just like a deranged quality to the songs that's so perfect. It reminds me a little bit of, um, so this is Spinal Tap, one of my favorite movies of all time. And... It's a ridiculous movie about a ridiculous band and the songs are ridiculous, but they are ridiculous in the way that those kinds of songs would be. And that's how I feel about the Four Town songs is like they are they are they are knowing what a boy band song sounds like and what the pitfalls of a boy band song might be, but they're also kind of doing it and loving it. And, and, and Monty, to your point, I don't feel a... Uh, I don't feel any of it is sort of unpleasant. I, I think it's done with love. I don't think that there's a lot of mockery involved. It's more like a love letter to that form, a knowing love letter, but a love letter. Yeah. And to tag on Imani's du jour reference, uh, if if you have not seen 2000's Josie and the Pussycats, mm-hmm. it's a wonderful movie that has um, a lot of still relevant uh, commentary about the music industry and, and, uh, and, and popular media. Uh, and, and what they do with the boy band is go, Oh, this, this is very much the afterthought of the afterthought of the afterthought Xerox of the Xerox of the Xerox, um, of, of the ones that are really doing it right. Um, and, and I, 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 I too, I, I, I can't, I can do nothing but echo how much I love that, that they really took it seriously with, with mm. these guys where I want, I want more of their music. <laughs> um, uh, like at, at Fan Expo Canada in Toronto in August, 
uh, I am recruiting four of my friends to dress up as the 20th anniversary reunion uh, <laughs> oh. of Four Town uh, to host one of the cosplay red carpets with me. That um, beautiful. That is and just wonderful. Lip sync the song. Yeah. And 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 I mean. Uh, how could you not? It's Toronto. It's the 20th anniversary of the attack on the Sky Dome. <laughs> yeah, it's yes. true. It's I true. love a concept costume. Listen, if if Billie Eilish and Phineas do not win another Oscar next year for one of the songs, probably no I guess justice. like the main, no justice. There is just no no justice Seriously. in the world. They really should because it it literally is um just so spot on and. You know, I I was personally just like much more of a Spice Girls obsessive than I was into either Backstreet Boys or In Sync or 98 Degrees, which were like a tertiary kind no, of I favorite. Mean, it, it's, here's the thing: is <laughs> when when uh, you need somebody like you've never needed love before, that's a very important thing to have validated. <laughs> But like, you know, I think that um, they just they they nail the form. And, you know, like I, I definitely appreciated that kind of music. And like I watched TRL every day after school. And one of the first things I would say to friends when I was like, did you see this movie yet? Did you see this movie yet? Um, I would say, listen, if nothing else, it is a love letter to girls who loved boy bands in the late 90s, early aughts. And because that is, you know, a, a large number of the friends that I have, um, I just would recruit people to watch this movie just by saying that. <laughs> I have I have zero doubt that Four Town played in Times Square for TRL, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> zero the, doubt. Like, Carson, Carson Daly gave all of them his phone number yep. and was like, hey, let me know when you guys are yeah, in town. We'll hang out. Let's hang out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say they had a pretty weird tour. They were in Toledo, <laughs> Toledo. a week earlier, and now they're selling out the Sky Dome at $200 a pop. Yeah. Look, poor, look, poor you got to get that Ohio money. Yep. Well, they draw from all over the tri-state area. It was it was, it was the great it was the Great Lakes. It was the Great Lakes tour. It wasn't a North America tour. It was just Great Lakes. Yeah, that's right. Something like that. Uh, these are these are canceled dates from earlier where they had to come back around. And I don't, I don't know what uh, what have we not discussed that people would like to to bring up before we are done. I want to say that I think it's very clever that Maylin's final look when she's going out with her friends is just ears and a tail. Because that's really easy furry cosplay for anyone to do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Her mom's still criticizing point. her, but now her mom's just criticizing you're going to go out like that with the tail. And she's like, mom, I do what I want. I, I just, yeah, that was great. Like, she's, it's like, you can be a panda, but really the tail, like, yeah, it's me mm. and the ears. Go to any convention. There's a bunch of people with ears and a tail. Absolutely. I, I want to see people cosplaying as the panda costume that they, the sad panda costume the, the they use one. at the temple. Yeah. That, that, oh, the cardboard. And, and, and let's, let's, <laughs> somebody, let's, somebody will be at Fan Expo Canada with that. I so guarantee the, it. The poor dad. I just want to say, um, People come to the temple in Toronto where there's the giant panda and then she's got to go visit her friends and dad's like, well, that's okay. I'll put on the cardboard panda costume and that will satisfy them. <laughs> and it's like, Oh no, I'd be mad. No, no, they, <laughs> they no. do not want to see you, sir, in your cardboard panda. I'm Abby. I want that furry panda. Yeah, we have to I go back refund. when the real one is there. <laughs> I know this will not be controversial, but I just want to say I really love the dad. He's so like, good. He's, yeah. he's just a good dad. He cooks. And then at the end, he sees her video. It's very sweet. Yeah. There's he's also a lot of sweet, looks. Yeah. Um, I appreciated that between mom and the dad, there are a lot of looks. Occasionally they will say something, but like this movie is mostly from May's perspective. And so, and, and 
and her mom is such a dominating personality that like the mom is right there and the dad is kind of in the background but there are a lot of married parent looks that they give each other like he the, he is a, a a absolutely a participant in this whole thing but she, his wife is the one who is the outgoing one and so but there i like i appreciated that that they give each other looks and occasionally say things and then yes he's also a, a sweetheart and he's making stuff and i like how the i mentioned this earlier how the friends are like just cannot wait to be granted access to her dad's cooking because it's legendary so i love that about him too I'm not saying I don't deeply recognize from my own history those between the parents looks, but I'm not not yeah. saying that either. Well, as and and as parents now, it's like I know those looks. Yeah, you're right. It's like <laughs> I, I, I've, I've, I, I can, I can almost understand the, the the conversation that's happening with those parents looking at each other. It's great. I love that there was no impulse or need to gin up any sort of conflict between the parents. Like Mm -hmm. there's plenty of that in a lot of other movies. That movie, this movie is, is not about like he is the thing that, that she and her mom fell out over. Um, and, and when you find that out, it's really a, that guy, that, that real hardcore, you know, um, like, you know, uh, gang on the streets kind of guy. Wow. (laughs) He was controversial. Huh? Okay. All right. Well, all right. That that uh, that's that's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, I'm going to say oh. this sentence just as a transparent attempt to get the title of the episode. All right. Are you there, God? It's me, a giant red panda. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Monty. <laughs> you know what? I think I think that's the most valiant attempt Perfect. at doing that yet, and it might actually work. Amazing. Really, yeah. really good. Um, I had one thing. Um, uh, this movie and everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, and, and a few other movies recently, um, have, have been this amazing breath of fresh air of, of letting, um, actors of Asian extraction do things that they have never gotten to do, not mm. let alone, you know, do that much. Um, I, I think it's amazing that, that Ki Kwan, uh, has not made a movie in 35 years and now he's the sensitive, nice guy, dad from everything, everywhere, all at once that everybody loves. And everybody's like, where have you been for 35 years? And he's like, oh, let me let me show you all the bullying. Um, You know, Michelle Yeoh is the lead in a Hollywood movie for the first time and not just a Bond girl or, you know, the lady who who is there to, you know, be the supporting actor alongside Chow Yun-Fat. It's it is wonderful to me that these movies exist and that, that people are embracing them. Um, and the voices that are trying to say that, Oh, nobody cares about this are pretty hastily silenced each time it crops up. Um, because you know, regardless of, of where you grew up or who you are, uh, there's something in this movie for everybody because everybody comes of age at some point. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and it's, um, yeah, I, I love that there are kids that are going to get to grow up with this movie existing. Yeah, it's a, it is a very important point that there were, definitely there was the discourse about, well, it, it, if if you're not a 13-year-old girl in Toronto, then it, it turns into a giant panda, then this movie isn't <laughs> for you because how could you oh, relate so to that? Oh, it's so exhausting. And yeah. it's, wow. dumb because, it's dumb because literally, I mean, not only is that very specific, but, but yeah, everybody went through this or goes through this. If you're a parent, your kids are going through this or went through this or are about to go through this. And like, it is, it is such a universal story with specific setting because of course it does. I think this specific setting is incredibly charming. Um, and obviously near and dear to the filmmaker's heart, but, but yeah, this is a universal story yeah. and it is, uh, it's a great make movie. Stories better. Yeah. Specifics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> 
As a Canadian, I need to point out that there are some like very specific Canadianisms in here that I think maybe non-Canadians might not get. Like, just really quickly, um, Timbits. Yeah, Timbits. You don't know what Timbits are. Yeah, they're they're like, in the film. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're they're like donut holes from Tim Hortons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Loonies and Toonies. You from know, the Hortons. Dollars yeah. in the form of coins. Moonies. Yeah. And that one kid that's like had the Loons Unlimited t-shirt. It's actually yep. Ducks Unlimited here, but that's right. fine. Ducks Unlimited. But I got I got the reference there too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's a uh, it's okay. Canada doesn't uh, need to apologize for, uh, for having cool Canadian references in a movie. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Plus it's a toque. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. to, to Monty's point, I mean, things being specific uh, helps when it comes to representation. It isn't just enough to go, Oh, look, here's, here's a Cho Chang and here's a Patel sisters. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's <Ouch>. um, <laughs> uh, like, I, I, I was never a fan of those books. I'm not even saying the name of the author or the series of books because in, in the cases of, Oh, look, there was a, this, uh, it, it was always, Oh, look, there is a person look at them and all of their stereotypical typicalities. And that's not the business that this movie is in. Uh, this movie is in going, these are people who, who, uh, who relate to their culture in different ways. And, you know, some things are more prominent than others. And this is just people living their lives, not being put up on a stage with a spotlight on them being told to sing and dance. Um, little for further reference, by the way, if you have not seen embrace the Panda, the documentary about the making of this movie, Mostly during quarantine, by the way, which is also really fascinating, but you get to see the stories of the women. And yes, it's mostly women, especially at the senior roles. It's all women uh, who made this movie. You, The story of Domi Shi is it, just so fascinating, um, but it's a, it's a really good um, thing to watch if you like this movie. Uh, I highly recommend it. And um, Domi Shi got this movie because she made a short called Bao. <laughs> and it is amazing. <laughs> And and obviously the people at Pixar thought it was amazing because they immediately said, you should pitch a feature film for us. Yeah. And that's this movie. So if you haven't seen Bao, that's also on Disney Plus, I think, because all the Pixar shorts are. So go watch Bao, yep. too, because it's hilarious and amazing. And uh, you know it's a how, short. You know how whenever they make a movie set somewhere else, they always have to go there for two weeks? Like, we're making Coco. We all went to Mexico for two weeks yeah. to really soak up the culture. Very serious. The clever thing with Turning Red is they got to go to the zoo and play with red pandas for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and then just, you know, got on Zoom with Domi's parents and, and got mm -hmm. to look at her, yeah. her, oh, her, her middle man. school uh, art notebooks. And they're amazing. That is one they of the great moments amazing. in Embrace the Panda is the Zoom with her parents in Toronto uh, where, they're, uh, where they're, they're, they're digging through her archives. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, embarrassing, but amazing. Um, all right. Well, this has been great. This is a movie again. If you've gotten to the end and you haven't seen it yet, what what are you doing? Go see it. it. It's it's really good. I know they didn't release it except very briefly in in movie theaters, which is kind of sad. It did run for like a week here in the Bay Area. My understanding is that it did that because the people who made it would like to see it on a screen, a big screen, and so they did. But uh, it's on Disney Plus. If you got Disney Plus, uh, it's beautiful. It looks beautiful. I would love to see this movie on a big screen sometime. By the way. It's it's great. Um, so check it out. And thank you to my panel for discussing this fun movie with me. It was a fun conversation about a fun, good movie. Joy Piedmont, thank you for being on The Incomparable for, the I think, the first time. Thank you so much yeah, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Come back sometime. Will do. All right, Moises Chuyon, thank you. You've been on a, a few times. Thanks for being here this time. Jason. I've never known nobody <laughs> like you. 
Marty Ashley, thank you. Oh, also, red pandas are extremely cute. I don't know if we covered that enough. Mm, yes, it needs to be said again. <laughs> it cannot be said enough. And Sandra Wong, thank you for being here and also providing important information about Canada. Oh, it's my pleasure. And now I'm like four time forever. <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We'll see you next time.